You know, you were created on purpose for a purpose. None of you are here by accident. None of you are accidents. Your parents might have said you were a mistake like mine did, but you matter. God uniquely created you on purpose for a purpose. And if this church is going to continue to reach the people in this region, it is, needs to be comprised of a group of people who have encountered the glory of Christ in such a way that you begin to live your life on purpose for a purpose. You are not some primordial soup uh, evolved being, physical being only. You are a spiritual being. You were created in the image of God. And, when mo- and I'm going to assume most of you are Christ ones this morning. When you come to faith alone, in Christ alone, you begin to realize, oh, this life isn't just about me. That I have a purpose for my existence and I can begin to live in such a way, no matter what has happened in my life, to bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ. This morning I would like us to examine a passage of scripture that allows you and I to begin to understand kind of the the fundamental nature of how to do life in a real practical way with Jesus. The passage we're going to look at this morning is found in Hebrews chapter 12. This is a very famous passage of scripture. The writer to the Hebrews has just got done teaching in this book of teaching these people who were moving from one religious system to a relationship with Christ that Jesus Christ is number one. He is superior. He's superior to angels. He's superior to the Old Testament high priest. He's superior to the Old Testament law that he is supreme and when you and I learn to walk with him, our lives dramatically change. And so in chapter 11, the chapter immediately preceding this passage I'm preaching this morning, we see this writer list all these people who at their time of existence walked by faith. And God honored them for their submission and obedience and walk of faith. They believed God and they walked by faith. And so now as we turn to chapter 12 in Hebrews, we see that, that, that the writer's going to say, because these people showed us how to live, because they, they, we can witness how they lived, here's then how we are going to live. So turn in your Bibles this morning to Hebrews chapter 12, and we're going to put it up on the screen as well. We're going to go through the first 13 verses this morning. Therefore, Since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you have not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Who ever heard of a child who was never disciplined by its father? 
If God doesn't discipline you, as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and are not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the Father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us, so that we might share in His holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. So, take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. So much the reading of God's inerrant inspired word. Let's pray. God, do a work through your word in each one of our hearts individually so that collectively in Imperial Nebraska we begin to represent you well as a church. And the lost people in this region who do not yet know you, Christ, come in faith alone to you and be born again and recognize that they too can live on purpose for a purpose. So teach us this morning through your word, Jesus, through your Holy Spirit. In your name I pray, Christ. Amen and amen. The writer begins this new paragraph by saying, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down. You know, I went online, and if you want to run the Boston Marathon, do you know that there is no rule, no rule, it's not in there, in all their rules, no rule against putting a backpack on when you go to run the Boston Marathon and filling it with lead fishing weights. There's no rule against that. If you want to run the Boston Marathon with a backpack on with lead fishing weights full, full of lead fish, you go right ahead, knock yourself out. Do you know there's also not a rule? I looked. There's not a rule. If you want to tie a rope around your ankle and on the other end of the rope tie it to a wooden box with a lid on it and pull that box along, there's no rule. You can run the Boston Marathon with a backpack wheel of lead weight and carry and, and pulling along a, bo- a, a, with a tied to a wooden box tied to a rope. There's no rule against that. We see in this, these verse verses that, that the writer is saying, hey, we're in this marathon race, okay? We're in this marathon race, and we need to strip off every weight that slows us down. You and I each have a tendency in our backpacks in the race of life with Jesus, in this marathon race that we're in. Many of us put stuff in our backpack that we really don't need, but we think we need. And it's slowing us down in our walk with Jesus. Oh, my family is number one. I have to put all this stuff in there. And I can't really serve you, Jesus, because it's all about my family. Oh, I know I need to walk with you, Jesus, but this recreational pursuit of mine, which really isn't a sin, but it's, and it's a good thing, but it takes up all my time in my backpack. Don't have time for Christ and His Word and His church. I don't know what's in your backpack, but I know what's in mine and what I want to put in sometimes. And then all of us also, have, he, he says, you know, strip off the weight that so easily slows you down and also the sin that so easily trips us up. You and I are sinners by birth and by choice, okay? 
And you and I each have a tendency to tie this rope around our ankle and that runs back to this wooden box that we have, these favorite precious little sins that we like to keep in our little wooden box. That surely isn't going to be any problem because the other runners have bigger boxes than my box, but I like my box because I got my little gossip in my little box or my little, my little overeating thing or, or, or my little porn thing. It's not that big a deal. And so we're running the race of life, pulling boxes and tripping ourselves up and quite frankly tripping other people up who are trying to run the race as well. And the writer here is saying, listen, to put it in my vernacular, get the junk out of your backpack that's weighing you down and cut the ropes that you're trying to drag that you think are going to help you in the race, but ultimately, sin never helps us run the race with Jesus. Especially this sin that so easily trips us up. And notice he says, let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. The race God has set before us. We're all in a race, friends, but we all have these kind of individual routes that God lays out unique to us. Now, I don't know about you, but I have a tendency to look at the other runners and think their route is a lot easier than mine. It just doesn't seem to have this big of hills. And I, I have a tendency to kind of compare my route with other people. And when I'm comparing and saying, my God... Their route's a lot easier than mine. What's up with that? I know they deserve a harder route than my route. I trip. (laughs) Because it's usually something I'm putting in my little box. Okay? Comparison steals momentum in the race of life. Comparison causes us to stop and take our eyes off Jesus. And you and I have this rhythmical lesson that we all have to learn. We run with endurance the race God has set before us where we learn this holy rhythm of grace in your life and mine where we can have this, this, where we race and we rest and we race and we rest. And notice that this race God has set before us is pretty much a marathon, not a sprint. And it varies in its route, and it varies in its terrain, but we are in the race if we're believers. And so how do you and I run this race with endurance? Verse 2, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Not Facebook. Not preachers. Not politics or politicians. Not Fox News. Not CNN. We keep our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Jesus Christ ran the race perfectly. Jesus Christ came, was born of a virgin, grew up immediately and perfectly obedient to God his entire life, was tempted, it says earlier in Hebrews, to to gather up some ropes and tie them around his ankles and put stuff in his backpack, but he never did. He never surrendered to sin. And he ran the race perfectly. And God was pleased with him. And he said at the end of his race, from a physical standpoint, it is finished. And he is the champion. And we have to learn to keep our eyes on him. Because when we take our eyes off Jesus, who initiates and perfects our faith, we end up tripping on our ropes or the ropes that other people are dragging behind them. 
Notice it says here, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Jesus Christ was a proper Jewish man, crucified naked in front of his own mother. Can you imagine the shame in his humanity of being hung naked, beaten, and and yet... Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. One of the realities of you and I learning in our individual root in our race of keeping our eyes on Jesus is that we internalize the reality that this world is not our home. It always ends up in a cross, but we can disregard its shame. Because of the joy awaiting us. This world is not our home, folks. This is not our permanent existence. It's never going to be perfect here on earth, ever. We are one of the first generations in all of history of Christians to begin to think that we can have somehow our best life now. We are going to heaven. It's going to be awesome then. And friends, you and I do not have to be victims of the unfairness of life. It wasn't fair that Jesus Christ went to a cross. He deserved nothing. It wasn't fair. And there's going to be unfair things that happen in every one of our lives. We're all going to get wounded. But through Christ, we refuse to be offended by the unfairness of life. Because we are not looking here and now at this stuff. We're looking at eternity because of the joy awaiting us. Now it says Jesus is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. We just sang about that earlier in this corporate worship gathering. And we need to think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. We live in a day and an age where I talk to Christians all the time and they're always giving up. Well, someone didn't speak to me at church. Or they decided to sing these type of songs at the church. Or they they made that change at the church. And I I mean, my persecution's so horrible, I just got to quit the church. I always encourage, have you thought about the hostility Jesus endured? When you're wanting to give up in your race in life, When you're wanting to quit the church, give up on the church, have you thought recently about the hostility Jesus endured from sinful people? Because when you do, you won't become weary and give up. There's a direct correlation between us wanting to quit running the race and what's going on in our mind and thinking about Jesus or lack of thinking about Jesus. And he says then, after all, you've not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. In other words, this is politely saying, um, get tough, okay? It's not going to be fair. It wasn't fair for Jesus. It's not going to be fair for you. Grow up and learn to look in light of eternity, okay? Get an eternal perspective here and walk with Christ, Because you have not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. Is it really that bad? So some of your co-workers made fun of you because you wouldn't cheat on the expense account like they did? So you lost a job because of your integrity? Have you given up your life? So some of your family thinks you're whacked because you're committed to Christ and His church? You haven't yet given up your life and your struggle against sin? Jesus did in a physical way. 
But because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross. Let's go look at verse 6. And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? So he's going to quote here from the Old Testament book of Proverbs, okay? So this is a quotation from Proverbs 3, 11, and 12. He said, notice he says God said, basically, uh, equating uh, Old Testament Um, scripture with new. He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. God disciplines us. You know that Jesus, Jesus is our coach who's coaching us how to run the race, folks. And he's a good coach. He's the perfect coach. And he knows just how to coach us because he's already run the race perfectly. Okay. And when you and I have a, te- when we, you and I get off and want to start putting stuff in our backpack or start dragging something out behind us in some wooden box, Jesus is like, excuse me, I am going to train you how to run this race better and I'm going to discipline you. Not because I'm mean or vindictive, but because I am your creator and I am your sustainer. As coach Jesus, I know what's best for you. And so, God works in our lives. And there is a, there's two main responses that many of us have when we begin to get disciplined by Jesus. Ha ha, I'm only human, no big deal. Okay? I'm just going to ignore what Jesus is telling me and his conviction of my sin and his discipline of me. Ha ha! I'm going to go have a good time. I'm just going to pursue fun in my life because after all, God wants me happy and I'm going to ignore Coach Jesus. Or the another main response, and I probably more more common, is just give up. Just giving up. And don't give up when he corrects you. Coach Jesus, you want me to, to, to take this route? And it's going to be hard? And the other people's route is easy? I know it is. Uh... No, thank you, Jesus. I'm just going to give up. Two main responses. Making fun or making light and giving up. And you and I have to learn in those seasons in the marathon race of life to gut it out and hang in there. You and I have to live in absolute immediate surrender to Jesus. Because as you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own Oh, excuse me, I skipped a verse. I knew I was off there. For the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. Now, God, now God loves us all, okay? The Lord loves us all. But the writer here is referring to a father-child relationship. And the Lord, Coach Jesus, disciplines those he loves. Years ago, when I was still on the ranch... I was running a, a, a ranch north of, north of Harrison, Nebraska, and I had the perfect job. Um, all I did was basically ride my horses and rope stuff, okay? It was a big, huge yearling operation. So I spent all of my time uh, driving around in my pickup with my horse, my horse in the trailer and roping stuff and doctoring it. Pretty awesome life. Okay. Now, my wife and I became Christians in March of 1990, or I became a Christian, and she rededicated her life to Christ, and, and we knew God had called me to be a pastor. Okay, But I told God, we are good at this, you know, you tell God your plans and he laughs, right? Uh, we told God, okay, I know that you want us me to become a pastor, but God, I am not going to raise my kids as preacher's kids. I won't do it. 
So I'm going to raise my kids on this ranch, then I'm going to go to seminary, and then I'll become a pastor. Thank you very much, God. Aren't you glad I will choose to obey you in 18 years? Mitchell Berean Church, at that time of church of about 25 people, was without a pastor, and they found out that I had been preaching around, and so they, they called and said, would you fill the pulpit one time, second week in July, in, March of 19, or in, in July of 1992, would you come fill the pulpit? I filled the pulpit. Two of the elders came down the middle aisle uh, after the service crying. I, man, I, my immediate thought was, man, was the sermon that bad, you know? But they came up and they said, we want to repent, and would you become our pastor? I laughed at them and said, no, I'm not going to become your pastor. I'm raising my kids on the ranch, then I'm going to seminary, then I'm going to become a pastor. I had my life laid out. They asked, kept repeatedly asking, and finally we worked a deal where I would drive down from the ranch and preach on Sundays. Now that was a good deal. Rope all week, okay? Preach on Sundays. For a preacher, that is like, cause you, you know, I got to deal with cows the rest of the week because people are a pain. So, so I could just preach and then go back to my cows. It was awesome. But we knew God was saying, Scott and Didi, you move down to Mitchell and pastor that church. But God, but God, we're going to choose our own route for our race, and our route involves staying on the ranch until our kids graduate from high school. After preaching one Sunday, I'm knowing again that God was saying, you go pastor that church. I was riding, a, my, I saddled up a horse real early in the morning. He was a horse I'd bought off a bucking string. He was good looking though. Um, and, and I was riding down to the neighbors to help him gather some bulls. Maybe they'll, be, they'll make your, um, uh, the, your directory. Um, but anyway, uh, <laughs> that cracks me up. So are you guys going to have pictures with EPDs and, and rate again? Uh, I just love, I can make those jokes at this church. Some of you are getting that. Um, <laughs> but anyway, I digress. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's bad when you're laughing more at your own joke, right? Uh, so, so I was riding my horse down. Uh, to help my neighbor gather some bulls, and and I went through this. It was the shortest way was through this really steep gully. And when I went down through this really steep gully, the gully, the keeper broke between on my between my front and back cinch. So my back cinch slid back on that horse's flank, a former bucking horse. Okay, so when I come up out of that gully, he bogs his head and goes to bucking. Okay, and he's bucking across the pasture, and he bucks me off, and I hung up in this in this with this leg. Okay, so this leg is stuck in the, in the stirrup, and I'm getting drug along the ground. And God was there. And I can't remember how long I drugged, but I promised God, God, I know you want me to go pastor that church. Get me out of here alive, God, and I will obey you the rest of my life. It was an encounter with the living God in a very real and personal way. Eventually, my, my, this leg caught on a piece of sagebrush. My spur caught on a bunch, bunch of sagebrush, and it jerked me out of the saddle. Um, we fi- figured out later I was passed out, but I, I, had, I caught the horse and, and somehow managed to get back on him and tied the reins to the horn and passed out, and the neighbor finally found me several hours later. As an aside, they took me into the hospital, of course, you know, and they x-ray me. And I'll never forget this. I can't believe this doctor. But he was a real enthusiastic man and real positive guy. But he comes in after x-raying me and he's like, Scott, 
Your pelvis, it's just like a woman's after she has a big baby. It's just popped wide open, just like that. I'm like, great, Doc. Yeah, I'm really... You know what? I couldn't ranch because all I could do was kind of waddle around with this big strap around me holding me together. But I could preach. And I preached sitting down. And for the rest of my life, when God says something, I want to obey. Now, your encounter with God this morning might not be that definitive, but I guarantee you God is going to do whatever it takes, my friends, to get your attention. If you are straying off the path He's laid out for you, and you are not running with endurance with your eyes on Jesus, God will discipline you. Again, not because He's mean or vindicative, but because He loves you and He's a loving Heavenly Father who wants what's best for you. And sometimes your route seems pretty circular and pretty steep up, but you don't know what He's protecting you from if you would have chose the wide, wider pathway. The Lord disciplines those He loves. He punishes each one He accepts as His child. If you're here today and you're not a Christian and you're going to decide maybe today is the day, you need to understand that when you become a Christian, you are saying, Coach, you have the authority in my life. You have the authority to discipline me to make thee the best runner of this race that you can. Verse 7, as you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as His own children. Who ever heard of a child who was never disciplined by its father? Years ago when our kids were little and our little boy Shane, who's a big boy now, but little Shane, him and a bunch of other little boys were playing at the park. And, and I forget what they were doing. They were being ornery, probably throwing mud balls at the girls or something. And I saw them over there. And Shane was right in there amongst them, you know? So I walked over there and I said, Shane, come here, buddy. And, and I said, Shane, cut that out. And Shane's response, he looks around. He's like, but daddy, the other boys are doing it. Aren't, aren't you going to get on, tell them quit too? I said, they're not my kids. You are. And you're a Mathis, and you're not going to treat little girls that way. Because he was my kid. And friends, we can look around, and sometimes we think these other runners are just getting away with murder. Maybe they're not even God's kids. But that's not for you to worry about. Your worry is God, what is God telling you? What is your coach Jesus telling you? Who ever heard of a child who's never disciplined by its father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, verse 8, it means you're illegitimate and are not really his children at all. Friends, if you are here today or you're listening online and you can sin and not get convicted over it, and you can just do your own thing and you don't even think about running the race for Jesus, maybe you're not really a Christian after all. You say you are. But in reality, your heart is so far, you mouth some words sometimes, but your heart is far from the heart of Christ. And you're really illegitimate. You really haven't even joined the team. You really aren't even on the team. And today would be your day. This would be a great day for you to turn from sin and, and Satan and turn from society and turn from yourself And turn to the Savior and believe in Him and what He did for you and learn and join His team and run the race that He has set out before you. 
Verse 9 says, since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the Father of our spirits and live forever? That verse is basically asking the question, who is your authority? Who is your authority? This morning, as you sit here in Imperial Nebraska, created on purpose, for a purpose, uniquely gathered here in this building to hear the voice of God through His living Word, how are you going to respond this morning? How are you going to individually? You know. Many of you know. The Holy Spirit's working here this morning. Some of you know those ropes that you need to cut off your ankle. That you're trying to run a race, but you're, you won't give them up. And they're your pat little thin. And some of you have all this weight in your backpack and it's wearing you down and it's making you miserable and you have no stamina left and you're making other people wait on you because you're just miserable. How are you going to respond this morning to the Father of your spirits? I encourage you to never be afraid of repentance and brokenness because our coach is awesome at rebuilding us up. He is amazing. Verse 10 says, For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years doing the best they knew how. And some of them didn't know very, how very well. Okay? Some of you are here and you have big time father wounds and issues. And you, you, quite frankly, a lot of times your view of God has been skewed because of how your earthly father uh, and somehow you've connected your earthly father with your heavenly father and, you, and it's this murky deal and, and so you're, you just don't trust God. This verse is, I've used this verse tons of times to help people with father wounds get over it. For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. Some of them didn't know how very well. But notice the next phrase, but God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in His holiness. God's discipline is always good for you. He knows. He's your creator and He is love. He knows how to discipline us so that we might share in His holiness. By the way, in this whole, this whole deal of, of God's discipline over us, is, and we, we sometimes struggle, and I think we, you and I, we evangelical Christians need to embrace that there's a mystery in all this. Like in what I'm, what I'm facing right now, maybe you have a physical ailment or, 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 or finance troubles or relationship issues or some sort of thing, and, and you're like, well, is this God's discipline or is this just part of living a life in a fallen world? And I believe we need to say, God, is what I'm facing because you want to discipline me? Or is it just because... I live in a fallen world. Now, God doesn't owe us an explanation always, but I believe we need to ask, but then embrace the freedom of saying, God, if it is discipline because I am not running the race how you want me to, I'll repent of that. Just show me, God. Ask him. He'll, he'll be faithful to answer this. But there are times there's a mystery where what we go through, we don't know specifically if it's actual discipline or if it's just part of living in a, in a fallen world. And we need to accept that as believers. God and his word doesn't make perfect sense and life doesn't make perfect sense all the time to us. And the ones I see that really, and, and I've learned, if you embrace the reality that sometimes it isn't always perfectly explained to us, 
that there's a freedom in that that'll let you go on. Because when I am stopping and saying, God, you got to make this make perfect sense. Is this discipline? What I do, God? Explain, you know, did I stole a, a dollar from my brother when I was five. You know, am I, am I, is my knee going bad because of that right now? You know? And I think we need to get over that. And I think we need to embrace the reality that there's some seasons in life where we're not going to know exactly if it's God's discipline or if it's just life. Embrace that mystery a little bit and accept that and then you can go on because some people stay stuck trying to make God and his discipline make perfect sense and quite frankly, it's a miserable existence and they never go on with Christ, quite frankly. So, verse 11, no discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those, for those who are trained in this way. Oh, that is awesome. There will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those, that's circled, for those who are trained in this way. Sometimes God disciplines us, but we don't get trained. Sometimes God works in our life and he's trying to train us, but we're like making light of it or, or, or giving up and we're not trained. And sometimes you and I need to say, oh God, oh, oh, heavenly Father, I want to be trained in this way to run the race with endurance you've set before me. Because not everyone For those, not everyone chooses to be trained by God's discipline. So, take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet. Folks, you're here today in God's love and grace and sovereignty. Some of you have tired hands and weak knees. And you need to mark out a straight path. You need to see the path that, that, that Jesus is setting before you. So how do we do this? How do we take this new grip? Well, go back through this passage. Remember the witnesses who went before us, who walked by faith. We need to get rid of the weight in our backpack. We need to repent of sin and cut the ropes that we're dragging behind us. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus, the champion. We need to think on him and all the hostility he endured from sinful people so we don't give up. We need to not make light of his discipline or give up when he disciplines us. And we need to see the loving Heavenly Father, God's discipline, and not compare our lives with other people. And we need, my friends, to remember that this we're in a marathon race, but it's also a relay race. And on on, on a certain level, you and I are carrying a baton that we're going to hand off to the next generation. Notice it says, mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. And folks, your kids and your neighbors and your co-workers and your fellow people at this awesome church are looking at you and it is, it is vital that you strengthen your weak knees and mark out a straight path and take a new grip because someone else is coming along behind you that you're going to hand the baton to. And if you are stuck because you have so much weight in your backpack and so many boxes tied with ropes to your legs, when they're, go- when they're slogging by, it's hard to hand the baton off. 
you've ever watched a relay race, what? The exchange is so important, right? That that person who's going to get handed the baton takes off at the right time and that the, the, the speed is incredibly important. Because we're in a relay race. Because it isn't about us. It's not all about you. It's about learning to help the next generation. So why did God get you here today? How are you going to respond to this passage of Scripture? <clears throat> How are you going to respond to this message? I don't know about you, but sometimes when I hear messages, sermons, I'm like, eh, that guy, eh, he's a little weird compared to Matt. I can't wait to get Matt, Pastor Matt back. I make it all about the, the messenger, man. You know, I'm, I'm critical of how they dress and how much spit came out of their mouth. And, you know, they, they messed up that point. I make it all about that. And quite frankly, Satan's like, yeah, do that, Scott. Make it all about the messenger. Don't think about how God wants to speak to you. You make it about the messenger. But maybe this morning, maybe this morning, instead of making it about the messenger, you're going to make it about the message for you personally. And you're going to respond in simple faith and obedience that Jesus Christ is your coach. And you want to get rid of the weight in your backpack and you want to cut the ropes that you're dragging behind you and you, our encounters with God define the rest of our life, man. Our encounters with God define the rest of our life. And God is here this morning and God has me- is meeting with you individually like only He can. Like that's amazing to me. Like He knows what you're thinking. He knows your yeah buts in your mind and He knows your excuses you're trying to drum up right now. And He's like, no. My love and my holiness transcend your junk. My Son shed His blood on the cross for you. You don't have to live a life weighted down by junk I don't want you to carry and trying to drag sin that you don't want to give up. How are you going to respond? I would encourage you to respond in surrender. Victory is one. It's a weird deal. It's just so bizarre to me. But victory in the Christian life is one through surrender. It's like weird, but we have to say, okay, I'm going to wave the white flag of surrender. God, I want to make it all about me and my race. And culture wants me to make it, but I, your coach, you tell me. You mark out my path. I surrender. I'd encourage you to do that. Thanks, guys. I love this church. I pray for you. And we'll probably be back in another year or so. And, you know, hopefully. The reason I came here and we didn't know beforehand because I knew no one would come. If you guys know I'm preaching. So, so anyway. Pastor Matt, I'll turn it back over to you. I have no idea what happens next. But usually there's something that happens next after I preach. (laughs)